You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. Hey, everybody! It's Dan, and this is the Dan Savage podcast, and you've got it on your iTunes. And here we are, and it's going to be great. I'm going to take a bunch of questions from people who called the uh, Savage Lovecast listener hotline. Two zero six two zero one two seven two zero is the number. Uh, and, and the way this works, if this is the first time you've joined us, is uh, I write a sex advice column called Savage Love that runs in a mess of newspapers all over the country and Canada and the world and Hong Kong. Um, and people uh, can write me letters at that column and I'll answer them in print. Or people can phone in with questions at that number, 206-201-2720, uh, and record a question and then I answer it on this here podcast that uh, a roving band of tech-savvy youth help me put together every week. So, uh, that's how it works. Somebody suggested I uh, walk people through that, so I did. Uh, now I'm just spinning my tires. So let's get to the fucking questions. Um, I'm a 35-year-old uh, bisexual woman. Um, about a year ago, I haven't dated for a while. Um, about a year ago, I moved to a new city where I knew nobody uh, and met this incredible woman. And I, she's kind of out of my league, so I just sort of chalk it up to a schoolgirl crush. You know, she's 10 years older than me. She's sort of more senior than me um, where we work. And um, and she's straight. And so I sort of just figured out I was going nowhere with that. Last week, we got together. Um, long story short, after three rounds of martinis, she asked me to come back home with her. And we ended up sleeping together. Um, I was initially horrified because I thought I'd gotten her drunk and taken advantage of her. But um, she... She didn't seem to mind, and, you know, we slept together again in the morning, and everything seemed super. Um, we made plans to get together again in the, the following week, and she um, she she wrote me the night before I came. I was supposed to meet her and, and kind of bailed, um, you know, just... It was a legitimate excuse, but not said nothing along the lines of, you know, maybe we can get together again. Maybe, you know, I, I'm just sort of figuring, trying to figure out what um, what to do next. I've never been in this situation. I feel like I should, you know, be respectful of her and give her time to work it out because, you know, at one point in my life, I was a nice straight girl who met a nice um, lesbian and... Uh, yeah, I just I just kind of don't know what she's thinking and, and don't know how best to um, move forward with this in such a way that doesn't drive either of us crazy. Your first mistake is this urge to feel all respectful. Uh, you know, I'm pretty much con respectful. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you should run with the respectful thing. Everyone should always be fucking respectful. Um, how wonderful that you arrived at. You feel like you should be respectful of her all on your own and that no one had to lead you there. That speaks so well to your upbringing. Um, what you need to do is you need to give her a little space. You need to give her a little time. Clearly, you've sort of perhaps panicked and alarmed her, not because you did anything, but because... Through you, she's had to confront or recognize some capacity in herself for same-sex attraction uh, and same-sex action and same-sex pussy-chomping and uh, scissor-sistering or whatever the fuck you guys did uh, when you banged the shit out of each other after all those martinis. Uh, so the best, the, the question is, how do you approach her? What do you say? What do you do? Clearly she got cold feet. She's sort of pulled back a little bit. What you need to do in a situation like this, anyone who's in a situation like this, you need to... Let them know that you're still interested. Let them know that you're not upset. Let them know that 
you understand if they need some time away from you to process this before they see you again, but that you're there and you, you're ready and willing to talk about it and hook up uh, for a conversation when they are. And just lob the ball very gently over the net back into their court, and then you just have to wait patiently to see if it comes back. Uh, that can be the hard part, especially if you're really excited about her. You say she's out of your league. You say she's older. Uh, it sounds like you're really attracted to her and really into her. And if she does decide that she is, uh, in fact, a lesbian or bisexual, uh, sounds like you'd really like to jump her bones on a regular basis. You may get all those things, but only if you handle this moment in this relationship uh, right. You can't make her feel bullied. You can't make her feel harassed. You can't make her feel stalked. You can't make her feel hurried along. Uh, you have to like let her go. You have to like let her have a minute to breathe and to inhale and and to think about what she's done and who you are and what this means before anything else can happen. So just, I, I would say send her an email, uh, but I would actually not say that in this instance. Since you work together and she's in a more senior position, I would write her a letter. Uh, the old-fashioned way, the little house in the prairie way, the Victorian way, the Victorian spinster lady friends way. Write her a letter and say everything you want to say and give her permission to, you know, avoid you and acknowledge that it's going to be a little awkward when you see her at work and that you guys should both have a sense of humor about that. And then also say, and if nothing happens, if it doesn't work out, if it never happens again, I hope we can be friends. And you have to mean that. You have to be sincere about that. And then you have to live up to that if nothing happens, if it doesn't work out, if she is not bisexual or lesbian and she never wants to see your pussy again, you have to be uh, a gentleman about it. Hi, Dan. This is a 26-year-old gay male, and uh, I'm just frustrated with this whole Senator Larry Craig thing. I happen to live in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I also cruise. I like cruising. I don't really troll the toilets or anything that comes across as just kind of dirty and issue and tacky. But, you know, I've gone to the parks and things. I mean, it's not the only thing I do sexually. I go to bars and clubs and met my last boyfriend at a laundromat. So it's not, you know, my only outlet. But it's a fun thing to do in the interim time when you're not dating someone. But the problem is, since Larry Craig's little uh, bathroom incident, it seems that every single place to go cruising in the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area is swarming with police. In fact, the city of St. Paul set up a website uh, every time they go and catch people at this one place called Barris Beach. Uh, they're starting to put people's pictures up on this website. And uh, a friend of mine said they saw something in the St. Paul paper listing names. and like, this is turning into some weird McCarthyism thing uh, because Senator Craig can, you know, keep his dick uh, in his pants when he was going to the airport. My frustration is, why is it that straight America seems to be going so crazy about gay men wanting to have sex in awkward places? Straight people have sex in awkward places all the time. I mean, out in the park, if a straight couple were going at it a little too... Uh, extreme, I'm sure a cop would say, okay, guys, break it up. You know, the lover's lanes of years past and such. The police just telling you to break it up. If they catch two guys going at, they both get arrested, uh, pictures put in the paper, bosses called, lives ruined, what have you. I mean, is it, why is there such a humongous double standard for straight people to go out and have public sex and versus gay people going out to public sex? That's my frustration. Hey, Darren, it's Dan. I just listened to your call that you recorded. Cool. Uh, about the alleged double standards and apparently the the witch hunt that's going on in Minneapolis-St. Paul right now uh, in cruising areas. 
Yes. Uh, do you know people who have been arrested? Um, one of my friends actually did get busted uh, at a local cruising spot about three weeks ago. and uh, For he, having sex? Yes. Not for hitting on someone? Not for hitting on someone. Because the ACLU and a few other people are saying Larry Craig did nothing wrong, he broke no crime, he had no public sex. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's not illegal. I, you know, it's not illegal to hit on somebody in public place. So if the police are harassing gay men merely for congregating, uh, for flirting, for inviting people back to their apartments to have sex, uh, that's totally unconstitutional. The ACLU will come flying down uh, just to aid you. Yeah, and your buddies. The, where where it gets dicey is the sex in public thing, um, and I know you perceive a double standard, but I'm going to disagree that there's a double standard. Okay. Well, first of all, we had an instance here where a straight couple was having sex in the uh, bathroom at the baseball stadium, and they were arrested, and the guy lost his job. Poor motherfucker. Um, <laughs> he was a county prosecutor here. Uh, ain't no more. But the problem is, and, and what you need to acknowledge, is that when straight people have sex in a public place, it's usually a one-off moment. It's usually one couple sort of running out to a place and having sex there, and they may or may not get arrested, and the police may or may not uh, send them on their way. The police are very much are very likely to send them on their way because they know that they're not going to come back, and the place isn't going to be overrun by heterosexual couples doing the same thing. The problem with a lot of gay cruising spots where actual sex takes place is they go up on websites. Is It becomes a cruising spot not because, you know, one individual gay couple, you know, ducks into the bushes in some park and, you know, because they're so inspired at that moment to get it on in that place randomly, but because yeah. but a bathroom or a certain beach or, you know, the, the corner of one particular park will become a known cruising spot, and then there'll be dozens of guys there at any given time lurking, looking for sex, or having sex. Yeah. And the police treat that differently because it's different than the way straight people have sex in public. Wow. Well. There are parks full of straight people milling around in one particular spot or straight people overrunning one particular bathroom in one particular park so that then they can get it on there. Yeah. Right? Yes, I, I get that. So there's a difference in degree. It would be nice if the police could not be dicks about it. It would be nice if people could not be such pansy-ass scrotums about it. You know, most of these places where there is gay public cruising are really concealed. Most guys who cruise are really hyper-discreet, in part because they are afraid of getting busted, in, yeah. and, but also in part out of simple consideration for other people's feelings. You know, a lot of guys who cruise yeah. are super considerate that, you know, if anybody else is around or it's clearly there are people around or there's a family nearby, they knock it off and disappear because they don't want to alarm anyone and they don't want to get in trouble. Exactly. But, but, but there are a number of gay people or closeted straight people, who, which is often the case in cruising areas, yeah. straight identified guys who are closeted who want to suck a little dick, who don't have any social skills, who don't know any better, who aren't discreet, who aren't considerate, and they bring down the wrath of the authorities on the heads of innocent, discreet, considerate cruisers everywhere. True that. So I'm on your side, so long as you acknowledge these differences between, you know, this alleged double standard. Straight people do it, they don't get arrested, well, yeah. Well, I acknowledge the standard, but not just... It doesn't just apply to, let's say, a gay cruising area. But, for example, if I were with my boyfriend and we were getting hot and heavy in a car, which everyone who's ever had a car and had a significant other has probably done, if the police were to roll up on me, they would say, probably, 
arrest us? Or Probably. I don't know, because I haven't heard, you know, and I follow these stories pretty closely, I haven't heard any stories in the last decade about the police just randomly busting guys getting it out in cars, and I know guys are getting it out in cars. Yeah. When you hear about public sex busts, it's always tied to a specific location and specific complaints about what's going on at those locations. And my dad was a cop. Mm-hmm. And you know, cops hate this duty. Cops don't want to be sent into sex parks to buck, bust the cruisers. It's not like this is a plum assignment. Oh, I didn't figure. So I don't think it's like the cops are just you know thrilled and anxious to be out there. I think it's a waste of police time and resources. It's a political thing. And it's a political thing, and I think it's partly politically motivated. It's certainly infused with homophobia. Individual cops can be total dicks about it and super homophobic and target gay men and treat gay men differently. God knows that goes on. But you're gay, I'm gay. We know that what goes on in those places is often completely off the hook, right? Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. ways that it wouldn't, that you just can't say straight people are doing the same thing and getting treated differently when they do it. They're not doing the same thing and getting treated differently when they do it. Well, they don't have to do it that way, I suppose, is one part of it. Well, that's true, because there aren't closeted straight people who can only, you know, fulfill their heterosexual desires in desperate, furtive encounters in <laughs> public, straight public sex environments. Because straight people aren't viciously oppressed by gay people and gay people's invented gay god that's going to send them to <laughs> gay hell. Yeah. If they don't get with the gay sex program. Right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. I would urge you, you know, if you're going to do that sort of stuff in a public place, you have to know, and your friends have to know, who are openly gay and, and want to do it, that they're running a, a risk. Oh, I, I think I understand the risk. I know that it's illegal. I know you shouldn't be doing it. I know that there's trouble in store if you are not discreet and not careful about it. I just feel like it's... Uh- you feel under siege. Yeah. And you feel like a lot of the coverage in the media is in, informed by homophobia. Yeah. And I agree. I agree with you there. But, and there's always a but with me, because I'm a butt man. <laughs> but, I, what I, part of what I don't understand is, like, one of your fellow fags now, and I've never had sex in a, a public place with somebody I didn't just duck into a public place with. I've had sex in public, but with boyfriends and um, uh, strangers in Europe. Uh, what I don't understand is with the internet and with things like you know uh, Craigslist and Manhunt and all these websites your apartment is a park if you want your apartment to be a park that there's this random hookup generating machine that if you want that kind of random anonymous sex and if you do I hope you're being safe when you have it uh, as much as you can when you're having random anonymous hookups why go to the park still? Why do you do that still when the internet has come along to make sure you can get your dick sucked whenever you want? Well, I think part of it is the thrill of the public sex, and the other part of it is on the internet, you're not necessarily guaranteed to get what you're looking for. If you're out and you actually see the person in the flesh, so to speak, you know what you're in store for, sort of. Like, this is what turns you on this type of guy, the tall, blonde, black hair, blue hair, whatever color hair. Uh, That's what you like, and you see it, and you go after it. Versus the internet, yeah, this guy advertised himself as 6 foot 2, 185 pounds, washboard abs, back in 1979. (laughs) Now he's 350 pounds with a hairy gut, and not exactly what you're looking for. Right. 
I guess that's part of it, too. But you also said, and I wrote it down when you said it, risk is part of the thrill of public sex. Yeah. And the risk, and you have, like, risk of what? Discovery? Risk of getting caught, of course. Arrested? I mean, who's going to catch you? It's not like the, the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is going to catch you. The police yeah. are going to catch you. Those, that's what you're... I understand that there's a risk. I just feel like right now... But you said the risk is part of the thrill. I think that it's becoming more of... The risk is becoming so great that the thrills aren't worth running it right now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the public sectors in Minneapolis-St. Paul need to lay low for a while. Maybe they need to, but maybe they have no choice, right? Well, they'll have to. Winter's coming. <laughs> yeah, winter's coming. You can't have public sex. You'll have to risk the 300-pound guy uh, who lies about his washboard abs uh, over freezing your dick off in a public place, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, uh, thanks for your call. Oh, thank you very much. Bye. Hey, I just wanted to know why women are like planet's words, except for being on the bottom of your foot, they're on your life. All right, bye. Hmm, I do not know what I am to make of this call. Uh, you are free uh, in this country, in this day and age, to uh, suck all the cock you want. You don't have to sleep with women. If women are like planner's warts on your lives, you, you, you can just walk away from women, stick your ass in the air, and... Uh, have some dude bang away at it with his big fat cock. Uh, women aren't compulsory anymore. Thank God, uh, I, I would say. And if women are that distressing to you and you don't like them uh, and they upset you that much that you want to compare them to uh, to, to warts, uh, do women a favor. And uh, you know what? And do gay guys a favor. Don't sleep with anybody. Just stay home and jerk off about the curtains or whatever it is you're going to focus on sexually now that you've ruled out women uh and you sound clearly straight uh just you, you know fuck a cantaloupe stick it in the microwave fuck the cantaloupe and then throw it away because uh telling your voice i'd say you're probably too homophobic to eat a cantaloupe that has jizz in it even if it's your jizz how you doing dan um i just had a suggestion for the couple uh on the prior podcast that had a problem with um watching pornography uh while they were having sex and that the, the guy was a little bit too interested in the pornography and not so much his girl, um, why don't they take a video camera and uh, set it up so that it's going directly into the TV and uh, videotape or, uh, you know, be able to watch it so they could film themselves having uh, sex uh, while they're, you know, doing it so you could actually see it on the television as they're doing it live action so they could watch themselves on the television kind of creating their own porn as they're doing it. Um, I think that would probably solve some of their problems and it would probably be pretty erotic. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. I agree that that would be erotic. I don't think that that kind of uh, instantaneous Paris Hilton style porn creation would take the place of uh or supplant the desire that sends some people off to to watch porn. You know, part of the reason that people watch porn is because of uh the despair that I think monogamy often uh, instills in people. Uh a lot of people who are in relationships where they're not allowed to have sex with anybody else would still like to have sex with other people and they can vicariously uh have sex with other people or fantasize about having sex with other people and stay faithful by watching porn every once in a while. A lot of people watch porn because they want to watch other people have sex. I can watch myself have sex with my boyfriend 
anytime I choose to open my eyes while we're actually having sex, I don't have to make a videotape of us having sex and watch it later or watch it during the sex I'm having with my boyfriend. Um, sometimes some people like to watch porn because they want to look at somebody else naked, somebody they haven't seen naked in the shower, someone they haven't seen naked every day for 20 years, someone they, you know, who still looks naked the way, you know, 22-year-olds look naked and not 52-year-olds look naked. So your solution might be fun uh, for folks who want to have a little videotaped adventure, but I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all solution for the uh, never-ending problem of uh, porn uh, in uh, being consumed by people in long-term relationships. Hey, Dan. My 23-year-old girlfriend was just diagnosed with HPV, human papillomavirus, the, the type that causes cancer, not genital warts. She has a good OB-GYN, so I'm confident, you know, we'll take care of it if she doesn't clear it herself. My question is, um, it's most likely she got it from me, and I got it from a previous partner because of our histories. Should I feel an obligation to go tell uh, previous ex-girlfriends? Most of my recent ex-girlfriends are medical students, and so I feel like they probably will catch this, because if anyone knows to get pap smears, they will. Um, but I'd love to hear you say it, so I know that I'm not just being a pussy about making some awkward phone calls. What I'd rather be is like my scrotum, which bravely puts itself in harm's way and intelligently adapts to changing environments in order to protect that which is most valuable. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dan. Love the show. If only you were as brave and functional as your scrotum. You're totally chickening out. Uh, your ex-girlfriends, who you may have infected or who may have infected you, need to know what you know, particularly if your girlfriend uh, has a strain of HPV linked to cancer. Your exes, uh, as med students hopefully, won't freak out. We'll know that in most instances, women uh, and men cleared the virus after a certain amount of time, that upwards of 70-80% of all sexually active adults at some time in their life are exposed to uh, the HPV virus, uh, and that it only causes cancer in a very small number of cases. Uh, and there's a vaccine for it now, and everyone should go get it before they become sexually active and stop listening to the fucking religious right. Setting that aside for a moment, you have to do the brave, courageous thing. And what you're afraid of, um, what you're being a scrotum about, is that your exes will freak out, that they'll scream at you, that uh, it'll be an awkward, confrontational conversation uh, where they attempt to blame you for you know their increased risk of cancer or the fact that they might have HPV. Um, it, no one can know if you got it from them, if they got it from you, if your girlfriend has it because they had it. Uh, and it, who cares if they fucking freak out? Who cares if they scream at you? Even if they do scream at you, they're going to appreciate it and love you more, uh, even though you're the ex, uh, a month or two down the road when they calm down about it. People in the moment often freak out about it. Just make sure that when you talk to them about it, you don't sound like you were making any accusations. So here's what you need to say. You need to make sure it doesn't sound like you're shifting blame or trying to assign blame or trying to create a timeline uh, that uh, makes them responsible for this strain of HPV and how it came into your life and your girlfriend's life. Don't say, uh, hey, I want you to know that you know my girlfriend has HPV, so you probably had it when we were sleeping together, uh, and I probably got it from you. Don't say that. Say, I just thought you should know my current girlfriend has a strain of HPV. I was linked to cancer, uh, and I don't know if she got it from me or if I got it from her, but you need to know so that you can get checked, period. No blame assigning, no timeline creation, no speculating about who gave it to who first, just the information that they need so they can be proactive about protecting their health. And any woman who hears you say exactly what I just said and freaks out on you 
and screams and yells at you is uh, a dumb bitch and you're well rid of her and she's your ex already. So it's not like you're going to have awkward moments at the Thanksgiving dinner table for the rest of your life when you tell her that unless your ex is your sister. Uh, and I hope she's not because then the HPV is at least your words. Um, so you let her freak out and hang up. And, you know, maybe in a month or two later after she gets checked and calmed down, she'll call you and thank you. Uh, but at least you will know that you did the right thing. Hi, Dan. I love your show. My name is Madison. I'm 19 years old. I'm pretty kinky. And I'm also Columbia University's newest official sex columnist. With all that said, I don't actually have sex very often. I keep a, I, well, I kept a vice grip on my virginity until I was 18 years old. And then I had a non-orgasmic but nonetheless excellent night of passion with an older man who I, I had uh, known for a while prior, prior to that, but I subsequently cut out of my life. I also, around the same time, had anal sex once with a male model and then cut him out of my life as well. Since then, I've been extremely overprotective over my vagina and haven't slept with anyone for about a year and a half. I'm not a control freak, but I do get some type of satisfaction from stopping my plentiful hookups either before they start or before they become penetrative. I also seem to repel boyfriend energy and emit kink vibes. And when I say kink vibes, I mean men seem to be able to tell that I'm not interested in a relationship and only want to be tied up and spanked. And... um, Again, I somehow am really into that, and it turns me on, and once the hookup starts, I make them stop, um, even though I want it to happen. So although I would appreciate the stability stability of a relationship, um, for some reason I'm fiercely independent, extremely sexual, and yet resisting sex. Am I just not ready for sex? Am I just not ready for a relationship? I'd appreciate your analysis because I really need to rack up some experience for my column. Hello, Madison. It's Dan. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I just listened to your message. Okay. Uh, that older guy you slept with and then cut out of your life, it wasn't the president of Iran, Muhammad Al-Mahdi was it? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. He, wasn't Although, he didn't come to Columbia for a booty call? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. Not, not with me, anyway. <laughs> uh, so I listened to your message, and I, I want to back way the fuck up really quickly. And address the whole college sex colonist phenomenon. Right, right, right. Uh, Do you want to know what's made Savage Love such a success? Lo, these 17 years. Oh, yeah. As other sex columnists have come and gone, and other sex sex columnists who've graduated from college papers all over the country have tried to, like, start sex columns uh, to no avail. Uh, It's because I don't write about my own sex life. Interesting. Uh, and, and, and when I have written about my own sex life, it's always been a lie. Okay. Like a few years ago, I wrote about being into guys into tidy whities I could really take or leave wife around tidy whities I don't give a shit. <laughs> but I pretended I was into it, uh, and then lots of guys sent me pictures of themselves in their tidy whities And that's not, I, you know, it doesn't do anything for me one way or the other. No, the guys not? look good. No, why not? Um, because you know what the problem is when you write about your own sex life in your sex column? Uh, readers perceive that you're doing things, as you say, to rack up some experiences for my column. Huh. And readers perceive that the column is uh, showboating, or the column is an attempt to attract attention to yourself, or you're just acting out sexually, and they doubt your sincerity. They doubt the sincerity of your sexual explorations, because it begins to look like Anka Rankarankovich, or whatever her name was in details in the 90s. It begins to look like... Uh, like you're not like you're not being truthful that you're just like tearing through things not because you're interested in them just because you got a deadline yeah 
The trick is, if you want to write a successful sex column, write about other people's sex lives. Okay. There's lots of people out there to write about. There's probably lots of people at Columbia who are fucking like crazy. There's probably lots of people at Columbia who aren't as conflicted about sex as you are. Uh-huh. You have a good angle here. Yeah. You're the frigid sex columnist. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're the guess, sex columnist yeah. with intimacy issues. Yes. You're the sex columnist with kinks that terrify you. Right. Because, you know, your inability to, like, let go with these guys that you want to tie up and spank you is such a cliche. Yeah. yeah. Like, you cut them out of your life because you're terrified of your own capacity to, you know, be submissive or, uh, you know, be a bottom in an SM situation. So any guy who gets a little bit closer is bringing you a little bit closer to realizing that. And so you shove them out. But, but why am I terrified of that? Because, because you're not ready for it. Because you're not totally ready for it yet. Because yeah. you're not ready for it. Because you're 19 fucking years old. Yeah. And it sounds like your kinks are really varsity-level kinks. Yeah. And you need to run. You need to walk before you run, and you need to run before you fly. <laughs> you need to, like, make out with a boy for a while before you jump right oh, into anal sex with a male model. You know how old I was when I first had anal sex with a male model? How old? Never. I've never had anal sex with a male model. <laughs> Not yet. I live in Hope, but I live in Seattle, too. You know, we don't got male models. They're not thick on the ground here like they are in Columbia. Right. Or New York City. You're, you're like, going straight for varsity-level sex. You need to spend some time in JV and intramural athletics. Well, that's another thing, I guess, because I have no interest in guys my age. I didn't say with guys your age. Who brought up age? With one person at Columbia. I mean, he wasn't even my age, but I've hooked up with one fellow student. And it was just, like, pretty uninteresting to me. God, and you, God, you're in New York. Where are you going to find middle-aged men interested in 19-year-old college students in New York City? God, <laughs> what a hard row to hoe. What a hard hoe to row. I'm not complaining about lack of men. I mean, that's not my issue. Oh, okay. Well, what are you complaining about, then? It's my, it's my mental block. I mean, as you said, my, I'm terrified of, or, you know, whatever I am. I just have some some issue with letting myself go, I guess, to that extent. And then you know what you need to do with your sex column? You need to meet and write about people who don't have the issue about letting themselves go. Mm-hmm. Don't write every week about, they have let themselves go, I have not let myself go. Why, what, you know, Don't ask everybody you meet for your column, how did you let yourself go? Because um, your column's not therapy for you, right? right. It should be right. about other people. Mm-hmm. And about their sex lives. And, you know, you can ask them in passing and not for the column necessarily every time. You know, how'd you get there? How did you get so free? Yeah. If you want to write about the crazy kinksters. Yeah. And I guess, um, I mean, it's, what's interesting is that, like, guys I know from home that I grew up with or, like, people I'm closer friends with, like, I have no problem, I guess, like, being, you know, expressing my desires. And, and as I mentioned in my message, you know, guys that I meet for the first time can somehow always tell that this is what I'm interested in. But for some reason, only the ones that, you know, I've known for a long time or I'm really comfortable with, I can actually, like, feel open asking for that and acting that way with them. And, you know... Uh, my my you know self defeating prophecy I guess is that I'm I don't tend to be interested in forming relationships with people I want to just meet new people and hook up with them once and then not talk to them again so well that's pathetic I know. and it's very self defeating because when you're into bondage and S and M you do need to establish trust and it is incredibly risky to have sort of random one off hookups uh, with people into BDSM. Right. 
And BDSM is better if you actually do it with one person that you, you know, you establish a rapport with someone. I'm not saying do it only one person, but that you have a rapport with the people that you do it with and that you can establish trust and really let go. And so I would say, you know, I don't want to psychoanalyze you, but it seems like you're setting up hurdles that are just there to prevent you from acting on these desires because you haven't fully accepted them or or reconciled yourself to the risks and dangers inherent in your sex life, and they're a little intimidating. And they should be. You should be intimidated by your desires because acting on them is going to put you in a certain amount, at a certain amount of risk. Right. And you don't want to do them with just anybody. Right. That said, if you want to do them at all, you need to get over this really what sounds like a self-imposed sort of affectation around, oh, I can't do this with people that I know well or that I'm mm -hmm. dating. Mm -hmm. You know, saying that is just saying, I'm not going to do it with anybody because I'm scared. And, and you can say that. Say, I'm not going to do it with anybody because I'm scared. Don't say, oh, I totally want to do it, and I would do it with him, but I know him too well, and I shouldn't do it with him because I don't know him well enough. Gee whiz, I'm stuck. Right. There's and a I big do, kink community I... in New York. There's kink organizations. You can get involved. There's no shortage of middle-aged straight guys that want to tie up college co-eds. <laughs> There's a way in for you. Yes. And you're right that I am setting up hurdles. Because, I mean, I meet these middle-aged men, and then I feel like they're using me. They are. Or that I, they're, and right. But that, that, you know, in a way, I guess I'm using them, too. You are. And that's so, grand. And that's grand. And you know what happens? Sometimes two people are using each other, and then they realize they like each other, and then it turns into something more than mutual use. Uh -huh. So don't feel like, oh, he's using me, means he's a user and a scumbag and nothing good can ever come of this. If he's using you in a considerate, respectful way and fulfilling your desire to be treated in an inconsiderate, disrespectful way, in a controlled manner, blah, 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 who knows what might come of that? You don't want to be used by someone who treats you badly while they're treating you badly. You want to be used by somebody who treats you well while they're treating you badly. And that speaks to that person's potential to be something more than just the guy who ties you up and spanks you. But it can never become that something more if you don't get there in the first place. How did you get this gig, shifting gears for a second? Uh, I applied. You applied. And they said, you, you there, the practical virgin, nearly a virgin and totally conflicted and frigid. You are the sex columnist we need. I'm not sure I was entirely forthcoming in my application. I just really sent in a writing sample, and they liked my, my voice or my angle. and. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, if you if you go on the Columbia Spectator website, you'll find me. I will look but, for uh, you. <laughs> my column, I've only had one published so far. What was it on? Um, actually, a sugar daddy, or a want-to-be sugar daddy, who has been sort of... Uh, Chasing you? ...courting me over the past uh, month or so, yeah. Okay, here's your writing assignment. I'm going to go online. I'll go to Columbia Spectator online, and I will read your next few columns. And then we'll talk in a few weeks. I'm going to ask the tech-savvy at-risk youth at Savage Lovecast to make a note to call you back in a few weeks. I want to see your next two columns not be about you. All right. That's, I mean, that's going to have to be like more like a month because I've already submitted my one for next week. Okay, we'll wait a month. We'll wait a month. We'll wait a month. We will wait a month and we will call you back. But you have to write about other people. Okay. Or we'll you won't it. be a successful sex columnist. Okay. And you know what? If you write about other people, you will be the rarest and most unique and distinct college sex columnist in America. Every college paper in America has some girl that they, you know, is 19 years old who doesn't know her ass from a male model fucking a hole in the ground, and they give her a sex column, and it's all about her sex life and her own self-discovery, and it's, I guess it's titillating to the, you know, college professors on the 
overseeing the newspaper. <laughs> but it's really not titillating to your peers. Your peers will turn on you. At first they might go, ooh, sexy, hot. But then they'll just yeah. be annoyed by what they'll perceive as your self-obsession when all you're doing is writing what you were assigned to write, which is a sex column about your sex life. Write a sex column about other people's sex lives. So it'll be more successful. Take Excellent. it from me. Page advice. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Talk to you in a month. Okay. Bye. Bye. And we're going to leave it there. We're going to wrap up this installment of the Savage Lovecast with that very interesting call. I didn't have the heart to tell Madison that uh, not to write me when she graduates asking how she can get uh, my job because I'm not going anywhere. The mistake that all these sex columnists at all these college publications make, uh, you know, they, they go to college and every couple of years or every year there's a new editor for the school newspaper. There's a new sex columnist because people fucking graduate. Well, in real life, Ann Landers doesn't graduate. One day she dies. And then Amy Dickerson gets her column. Uh, I will one day die. And then you can all you, all you bitches out there writing college sex columns. One of you will get my job when I die. And I'm not trying to get you to come out fucking here and kill me. I just want to acquaint you with the reality that you know in a college newspaper world, like everybody has the half life of uh, you know a Twinkie out in the rain. Out here in real life land, people don't just did, did graduate every couple of years and open up every job at every newspaper in America. So uh, I've got this sex comp thing, I think, pretty locked down for a while. So you might want to take some acting classes, see so if something to fall back on if the sex columnist thing doesn't work out, or maybe some modern dance classes, because I ain't fucking going anywhere. So all you college sex columnists out there who keep writing me, asking me for advice about getting your sex advice column off the ground, fuck off. <laughs> Okay, uh, the phone number here, if you want to call me for some uh, objective advice, uh, considerate advice, compassionate advice, 206-201-2720. Please leave your number so I can call you back if I need to and berate you in person live on the phone. You download this podcast every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. We'll be back next week, me and the tech savvy at risk youth with another installment of the Savage Lovecast.